3, Philippians chapter 3, is where we're going to go this evening. As we're working through this book, <coughs> we are, uh, Paul is, has uh, spent some time, he's endeared himself to them, he's let them know how much he, uh, how much they mean to him, and of course it's a book about rejoicing even through difficult times. And tonight I just really want to look, focus really on one verse here, and we typically go through more than one verse but uh, this is such an important one. Uh, we're going to preface it with verse 9, Philippians 3, and then verse 10 is going to be our focus. But look at verse 9, and he, and be found in him, not having mine own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith, that I may know him, the power of his resurrection, and the fellowship of his sufferings, be made conformable unto his death. I read uh, one preacher who said he wishes he could see three things before he died. Uh, the uh, Rome in all of its glory, uh, Christ in the flesh, and Paul and his preaching. Now the truth of the matter is that many have seen the first, and it did nothing for them spiritually. In fact, many have seen the second, Christ in the flesh, and they still rejected him, and, and some crucified him for it. And then many people saw Paul preach, and, and that did not help them as they also uh, rejected Christ. So uh, Paul has a different focus here through this book, and in the process of, of writing the book of Philippians, and as we read it, we see seven wishes that Paul has, and they all center around Christ. Uh, he says here that he would want to know Christ, then he, that he might win Christ, and that he might magnify Christ that he might be conformed to Christ, that he may, might be found in Christ, that he might rejoice in the day of Christ, that he might forever be with Christ. All these things are talked about in this book. Now, these are all obviously focused around Christ. And if we have these desires, and if we pursue these desires, it's going to affect the way that we live our everyday lives. And that's what I want to focus on this evening. Now, Paul lists a few things here that he desires, uh, going back to verse 9, uh, he desires salvation in Christ, be, be found in him not having mine own righteousness, which is of the law, but that just with, through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith. going to do something just a little different. I'm going to work through the verse in the preliminary, and then we'll come back and, and look at a little more meat as we go through it. But uh, we saw last week how all Paul's accomplishments, he, he, he had a trade-off. He, he, he talked about his his heritage, he talked about his family, he talked about his religion, he talked about all his accomplishments. And he counted them but loss, he counted them but dung for the cause of Christ. He took all those accomplishments, everything that meant all that to him, and he threw them aside when he met Christ. Now, we, in a spiritual sense, ought to always evaluate our salvation as a higher uh, blessing, as a higher uh, privilege than anything else in our life. And we need to keep that premium. Salvation is our greatest blessing. Uh, he valued salvation in Christ above all the other things that he had accomplished. The fact that you are saved is more than compensates for any loss in this world or any gain for that matter. It's more important than any of that if we remember our salvation. Sometimes it seems like that's all we have. You ever had a a day or a week or a month or a year just absolutely fall apart on you and you're just as down as you can possibly be, we've always got that. We've always got salvation. 
and that's something we can hold on to. So he lists that, salvation in Christ. And then schooling about Christ, that I may know him. Now, after salvation, he lists four things that he now values. The first is a knowledge of Christ. Paul was a man who valued knowledge. We know that he was, uh, we can kind of see evidence that Paul was basically a genius. He was a child prodigy. He studied under Gamaliel. He was a very, very brilliant man. Uh, he was a scholar. He was a, th a theologian. He was educated. And uh, our society today puts a great emphasis on knowledge. Sometimes it's to its own deterrent. To its own detriment, I should say, uh, if I can get the right word here. I don't have enough knowledge. Uh, but sometimes uh, we go too far with knowledge. And, and by the way, we should be learning all the time. I agree with that, and I am a big proponent of learning and reading and continue to do so throughout our whole life. But uh, we can take that out of hand sometimes. Do you know that half the things a man knows at age 20 won't be true at age 40? And half the things he learns at age 40 weren't even discovered at age 20? Uh, the things are changing all the time. Uh, knowledge is changing, and, and uh, what we know about the world is changing all the time. And so there's nothing wrong with knowledge. I'm all for it, but we need to know the right thing. You ever met anybody who is so learned, super, super, super smart, but at the same time, in many ways, is kind of dumb, <laughs> ignorant in a lot of ways? Uh, someone with, uh, like that usually has a huge ego, it's all wrapped up in their knowledge, their, their uh, published work, or their, their honors, or whatever there might be, the letters after their names. They're completely wrapped up in their own knowledge. There's an old proverb that says their cup is so full they have no room for tea. <laughs> and that's the idea. They're just full of themselves. Uh, because of their pride, then, they have no com real capacity to inherit any true wisdom. Now, the church can get caught up in this as well. We call it intellectualism. And now I'm not a fan of intellectualism. You may say, oh, we know, Pastor, you're not a fan of it. I, I, that probably comes across very clearly that I'm not an intellectual. But um, I'm not promoting stupidity. I'm not promoting ignorance at all. But intellectualism will often come up with a lot of heretical beliefs and, and things that do not line up with the Bible. Uh, I just to name a couple, Calvinism, Reformed theology, we could go through a big long list of them, but they don't come from the Bible. They come from, people get them from books. Talking to a young man not too long ago that uh, he doesn't go to this church. He was he goes to a church close by here that uh, pastor's a good friend of mine, and, and uh, that pastor wasn't agreeing with his beliefs, and so he reached out and thought maybe we could meet and talk about it. And, and uh, of course, I found out very quickly that I lined up with his pastor more than him, but but uh, one of the first questions I what books are you reading? And immediately, oh, I'm reading this one and this one and this one and this one. Well, that's the problem right there. Nothing wrong with reading books, but uh, it's often, especially if we read more books than we do Bible. <laughs> Sometimes the Bible kind of goes to the back of the shelf, and all these, and we put uh, books as a primary uh, source of knowledge for us. If we spent as much time in our Bibles as we do in books about the Bible. It'd help us keep our, keep our theology straight. And so knowledge, I'm not against knowledge. I'm all for knowledge. In fact, I love knowledge. I love to learn. I love to read. I love to discover new things. But we need to be careful that uh, we don't uh, get caught up in intellectualism that pulls us away from the simplicity of what the Bible teaches. This knowledge uh, that Paul, Paul wanted to know 
Christ. And we're going to talk about that more in a minute, that I may know him. It's the taught knowledge that Jesus was and taught and lived. And then the strength of Christ, the power of his resurrection. He wanted the power of the resurrection of Christ in his own life. Uh, he, this is, of course, spiritual power, not physical power, material. Talking about the power to live a godly life. That's what Paul wanted in his life, the power to defeat temptation. And then the sufferings of Christ. He said the fellowship of his sufferings. Now, in the Greek text, it's interesting, this clause and the prior clause are connected under one article. And so there's a very close connection between them. If we want to know the power of his resurrection, we must share in the fellowship of his sufferings. They're connected. Romans 8, 17. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God, and joint heirs with Christ, if so be that we suffer with him, that we may be also glorified together. So suffer and then glorify. Uh, we suffer with him, become joint heirs with him. Uh, but we tend to like the good without the bad. We want the good. We want, we want to get the good, but we want to do it in an easy way. Wouldn't it be nice if we could download patience like an app for your phone? You just uh, pray patience and then you got to wait for the wheel to go around and all right now you got it wouldn't that be nice but that's not the way patience comes patience comes through trouble and trials and hardship we like the good though uh that's why we that's why there's such a market for these shtick exercise equipments you ever sat up late at night and watched i, I love infomercials i'm weird like that i uh, just like the like to see the I don't know why I like them. I just like watching. They crack me up. But uh, the, you see exercise equipment. They, they try to get the ones with the best results with the least work. I've seen one. You sit on the couch and have a band around you, and evidently it's supposed to help you lose. I don't know how. I, you know, probably you can eat Cheetos while you sit there. With, I don't know. Uh, you know but the, you put this little piece of tape around your finger, and in three weeks you'll have rock-hard abs. I don't know how it works. I don't know the claims they make, but, but we like that. That's the kind of thing that appeals to us because we like the easy. We don't like to, to go through the difficulty of it. And, of course, the world doesn't like suffering. I don't like suffering. You don't like suffering. None of us like suffering. But Paul actually puts a value here on suffering. One commentator I read said this, I can say with complete truthfulness that everything I have learned in my 75 years in this world Everything that has truly enhanced and enlightened my experience has been through affliction, not happiness. I ask you to consider the same thing. Look back on your life. The things that you've learned, the growth that's taken place in your life, I dare say most of it's going to come out of affliction, difficulty, suffering, trial, hardship. We don't learn much on the mountaintop. The view's great. Have you ever noticed they, they call it the tree line? There's a, there's a, it's where the trees end, and then it's all just rock. The other day, I got the most gorgeous picture. Uh, we're flying from Washington to here, uh, and, and I, I have it on my phone, but there's nothing but clouds, and then up over the clouds comes the tip of a mountain. It's just a beautiful, beautiful picture. And nothing on that mountain. There's some snow, a lot of rock. Nothing grows up there, but the view was spectacular. But where it grows is down in the valley. That's where things grow. And that's where we grow. Suffering is a part of our life. It often results in many positive things. Most of the Psalms, they arose out of suffering. Uh, a lot of the epistles were written from prison. John Bunyan wrote Pilgrim's Progress in Jail. We could go on and on and on. A lot of uh, positive things have come from suffering. Experiencing, think about Helen Keller. Blind, 
deaf. And she said this, although the world is full of suffering, it is also full of the overcoming of it. Amen? That's a good thought. Experiencing suffering can affect our eternal glory. 2 Timothy 2.12, if we suffer, we shall reign also with him. So we have to have an eternal perspective when we look at suffering. And that will help us not to be grateful for the suffering, but at least to maybe get an understanding with it. The sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared to the glory which shall be revealed in us, the Bible says in Romans 8.18. And so we see Paul looked for the <coughs> salvation of Christ, the schooling of Christ, the strength of Christ, the sufferings, and then the submission. <coughs> Verse 10, being made conformable unto his death. Paul spoke about the obedience of Christ. He became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Christ was completely submitted uh, to God. In fact, uh, there, is, there is no greater submission found in the Bible than Jesus Christ to God. So, And that's another area we struggle in because we don't like submission. We don't like submission. We like control. We like to be in charge, but we don't like submission. Submission goes against our nature. But we need to be submissive. Uh, Christ was submissive to the Father. We need to place ourselves in submission to him. So now, going back and uh, digging a little deeper on this verse, verse 10, uh, to know Christ, that I may know him. Paul had met Christ. Now he wanted to know him. There's a vast difference between meeting someone and knowing someone. In fact, there's a vast, you can have a, you can have a, a, a casual relationship with someone and never really get to know them. Or uh, you can really get to know them. I've met hundreds of people over the years, and you have too, probably thousands if, if we really were true about the matter. And, and uh, very few that I got to know very well, some more that I got to know somewhat, and then some are just acquaintances, and then many, as you know, are forgotten uh, as, as we go through life. You ever uh, have somebody come up to you and ask if you remember them like you're supposed to? It's a terrible feeling, isn't it? What are you supposed to say? You don't remember them, but you know you should. You don't want to say yes. That's kind of lying about it. Uh, yes, I remember. We I met you at that thing when we were doing that thing. You know, uh, that's uh, we can't bring them up in our mind. If you say no, they're going to be offended. Uh, that's what's nice about church. Well, hey, brother, <laughs> kind of be a little bit. Uh, uh, vague about it but uh people are like that we we get to know some we get to and we forget others i try to tell young people when i'm dealing young people remember the kids you went to high school with i don't know if you have reunions i occasionally i have i was homeschooled so i have one <laughs> i can have a reunion anytime i want to uh but uh i did go to high school until my senior year and i remember my whole life revolved around pleasing everybody in that high school. I don't know half their names anymore. I haven't seen most of them since I graduated high school. I don't even know them. Uh, you know, keep track with Facebook once in a while, but they don't matter much anymore. Um, that, but then others, you make friends that are lifetime, and so that's the way it is. But if you really want to get to know someone, it requires genuine interest, doesn't it? You have to take an interest in them. Getting to know a person involves... If you're getting to know them well involves spending quality time with them. You do not get to know someone uh, without spending time with them. <coughs> In a growing relationship, uh, as you get to know them, the person will reveal their likes, their dislikes, their fears, their dreams, their hopes, and all the everything about them. And so uh, building an intimate relationship 
with someone. It does not happen on a weekend. Sometimes it takes a lifetime. I mean, how long have you been married? Husband, you got her figured out yet? <laughs> I mean, it takes a lifetime, doesn't it? Ma'am, do you have him figured out? Of course you do. Men are simple. You feed us and pet us and we're just fine. Amen. But uh, Paul wanted to know Christ. He wanted to know. That was his main goal in life. He wanted to know Christ. We need this goal. We need to know Christ. You know, the one who knows it all. He knows everything. I mean, he created the universe. He created the sun, moon, and stars. He knows everything about technology, nuclear physics, biochemistry, math, yuck, things like that. He knows everything. We ought to desire to not know about him, but to know him. To know him is life eternal, the Bible says. John 17, 3, and this is life eternal, that they might know thee, the only true God. There can be no greater goal in life than this verse right here, that I may know him. To know him is to spend time with him. In his word is to... Uh, spend time with him. Not, you know, I'm, I'm glad you know, if, if we do, uh, what is it called, the daily bread, you know, whatever, those are all good things, but we really, if we really want to know Christ, it's going to take more than the daily bread. We have to spend some time with him. And uh, in prayer, listen to him. Talk to him. I love the, the training we got for uh, prayer years ago. I took an RU class, and, and one of the things I appreciated that they offered was uh, that when we pray, pray and then pause. You know, sometimes we're, when we pray, it's all about us. We, we blah, 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 rattle it off and then we're, amen, we're done. We get up and we go all about our day. Pray and then stop. Have you ever asked God, God, if I've offended you or anyone in any way, would you please bring it to my mind and then just sit there for a second? It's amazing how you hear God speak to you because all of a sudden, Things will appear in your mind, and you'll, uh, he'll, he'll let you know those things. So we listen. We talk to him. When we do this, our love for him will grow. And guess what else? We'll begin to be like him. Haven't you ever seen older couples who uh, are very close, and they strangely have started to look like each other? It's almost a phenomenon with some people. We become like one another as we get to know each other. We need to have an experiential knowledge of Christ. Sight is the knowledge of faith. Taste is that of experience. First Peter 2, 3, If so ye have tasted that the Lord is gracious. When we taste his goodness or we feel his power, then we have an experiential knowledge of Christ. Many, many, many people talk about him, but they don't know him. And that's what I was talking about earlier with books, too. We need to, this is why this book is so much more important than books about this book. I, and I read many books about the book, too. I, I'm, I'm all for it, but let's not replace it completely. The other day I was having lunch with a, a preacher friend, and we were kind of talking along this line. And uh, it's like a restaurant menu. I have actually brought one with me tonight. It's a, it's a Mexican restaurant menu and it's got things on here I have no idea what it is uh, taco dulos uh, got a whole bunch of list of things I don't I don't know exactly what it means there's an actual an al pastor I don't know they're eating pastor here evidently but uh, I don't know exactly what it is uh, but the menu tells me about the food they serve and and in fact I can 
look it up. Uh, you know, if you've got uh, Google, you can get more about the food. You can. I, I was at a restaurant recently, and they served a, their special on the board was a California burrito. What in the world is a California burrito? It took a quick trip trip to Google, and this is what I read: a jumbo jumbo flour tortilla filled with carne asada, guacamole, pico de gallo cheese, and a handful of French fries. That didn't help me at all, but uh, it gave me the information about. It. And then they have pictures. I can see. Uh, pictures on the menu as well, um, so I can learn all about it. We learn about we can learn about the history of the food, where it comes from, and some restaurants in cities today will even tell you where the animal was happy or had friends when it was alive. You know, but you can learn all about this food. But here's the thing about a menu: at no time does anybody with any sense ever walk into a restaurant, pick up a menu, learn all about the food, and then leave. It doesn't do you any good to know about the food, does it? It doesn't do you any good to understand. And well, I've got a great understanding now about the food that they serve at this restaurant. That doesn't assuage anyone's hunger to know about it. And by the way, you never really have any appreciation for the food until you experience it. Man, we, get, we need to know, we need to, to, when it comes to the Bible, we don't need to just learn about it. We need to experience it. We need to partake of it. Thy words were food, and I did eat them. Experience the Bible. We need to experience Him. Don't just talk about salvation. Uh, experience the effects of salvation. For years in religion, we, in my family, that's what we did. We just talked about it. We hoped for it, and we, but we never experienced it until we got gloriously saved. When we experience God's work in our lives, it gives us a, more, a greater confirmation or an intimate knowledge of things. We understand it better. You can read about the sweetness of honey. Then take a teaspoon. It changes everything, doesn't it? A map can never replace. A map, no matter how good the map, can't replace a man that knows the area. I mean, we experience something. There's, there's something further there. And so when you experience God's work in our lives, it confirms the truth in our hearts and lives. You don't need to be told that the stove is hot if you've been burned. I remember as a child, we grew up in a house that was heated by a wood stove, and, and uh, we had no other way to heat the home, and so that's how it was. We froze at night, and when we got up in the morning, usually an hour before we got up, we'd hear the stove clanging, and Dad was loading it up with wood. I remember some really cold mornings like we have right now, the stove, the back part of the stove would literally be red hot, glowing hot with that fire. And when we were kids, we learned not to touch a hot stove. You know how we learn not to touch the hot stove? We touch the hot stove just once, and then you learn. It's like the, the, the question, how do you remember your wife's anniversary? Forget just once, and then you'll learn. That, you know, these single experiences will help us, and so we learn by touching it. And, and simply trying to drive home the point tonight, we need to know Christ. We need to experience him. It's so much different than a head knowledge because moms always try, I don't touch, it's hot, it's hot, it's hot. And they try, they follow them around. We used to have visitors, and they try and try. And my, I remember my dad, let him touch it once, he won't touch it again. It's uh, the callousness of a, of a father. But uh, when they get the experience, that's when it really sinks in. The promises of God in the Bible are just so many letters and words on a page until you start to experience them, until you recognize, until you have been where you cast all your cares upon him, for he careth for you. Where you have been 
uh, you've experienced his healing. You've experienced his answer to prayer. When you have verified these things in your life and experience it, it changes everything. <coughs> the more we experience the love, forgiveness, the comfort of Christ, the more we love him. What does the Bible say, 1 John 4, 19? We love him because he first loved us. When we experience his love for us, we have a love for him. That's what we need to do. So that, is this your desire, by the way? Can you, like Paul, have this desire in your life that I may know him? Then he goes on, he said, in the power of his resurrection. So Christ's resurrection power. Think of the result that the resurrection power had on Peter. Peter was, uh, before uh, Jesus was in Gethsemane, before the last supper they had and all that, Peter was mighty full of himself. He said, I, these, every one of these knuckleheads might deny you, but I won't. I'll stand with you. I'll go to the death with you. And then he couldn't, then he denied Jesus three times. Always thought it was amazing. Jesus said, before the, before the cock crow twice, you're going to deny me three times. I always wonder, this shows Peter was kind of thick-headed. Didn't he hear the first crow? <laughs> so he heard two crows, and after the second crow, he denied three times, but... You'd think he had a, you think it was, it's one of those, I think it's kind of like the grace of God. He throws little warning signs in our path. So he actually gave Peter a first crow of the rooster. Hey, 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 remember what I told you? Peter just barged on like many of us do, ignoring that first crow. And then at the second crow, he realized what he had done. The Bible says he went out and wept bitterly. Wonder where he went. Where did he go when he wept? Gethsemane? Possible. It's close by there. Wouldn't it be something? to go back to the point where you failed him. Then Peter gained a knowledge of the power of his resurrection. The Bible says that Jesus came to Peter privately after he was raised from the dead, but it tells us nothing about that meeting. It just mentions it. wonder what that was like. Now we know in John 21, he meets him <coughs> a second time. He asks him uh, three times, do you love him? We know that story very well. Uh, with his questions, Peter re or Jesus rekindled Peter's fervor. With his instructions, feed my sheep, he re reshaped Peter's future, gave him a purpose, called him, a, a call on his life. But the source of Peter's power was Christ's resurrection. Uh, the Holy Spirit, which was the fruit of Christ's resurrection, has changed his life. I mean, think about just a few chapters apart. You have Peter who's wilting in front of a girl, can't stand up for Christ in front of a group of hoodlums, basically. And then he's standing in front of 3,000 plus people, well, 3,000 joined, many more thousand there, and preaches at Pentecost. And what does he say? You put him to death? You are guilty? I mean, he is, he is, he was uh, lost all of his shyness. Well, he had the power of God on his life all of a sudden. That was through the resurrection. This changed his life. He went from being a, uh, scared to confess of being a follower of Jesus to in 2 Peter 1.14, knowing that shortly I must put off this my tabernacle, even as our Lord Jesus Christ has showed me. I'm ready to go when Jesus says it's time. Notice, by the way, that Paul did not say here just to know his resurrection, but to know the power of his resurrection. That word power is important here. It means basically the difference between a head knowledge and a heart belief. Again, we go back to experiencing it, applying it. 
Christ's resurrection has an immense power in our, in our justification. He could not save us without his resurrection. 1 Corinthians 15, 17, If Christ be not raised, your faith is vain, ye are yet in your sins. But he was resurrected, and that power is available to us. In our sanctification, the spiritual growth in our life uh, comes from yielding to the Holy Spirit, which, as I said, is a fruit of the resurrection. In our edification, every sermon, every church service, every missionary, everything is vain. Christ is not risen. All Christian growth is dependent on it. Ephesians 4, 8, Wherefore he saith, when he, ha when he ascended up on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts unto men. He gives the power to preach. He gives the power to witness. He gives the power to have victory over sin. Live a holy life. All those things. And then in our glorification, without the resurrection of Christ, there would be no resurrection for us. In Adam all died, in Christ all shall be made alive. What a blessing. And then uh, finally, Christ's rejected position. The fellowship of his suffering. Knowing that Christ's sufferings will help, uh, knowing of Christ's sufferings will help us face the problems we have in the world, whether it be scorn or, you know, we don't have that many problems if we're honest about it. We're not jailed, we're not beaten, we're not uh, killed for our faith. Jesus, though, had to face some of the things that we face. He had to face the animosity of his family. Remember his brothers when he went to visit his own home? His brothers said he's beside himself. That's a nice way of saying he's nuts. <laughs> Don't know what he's talking about. <coughs> his own family rejected him. Uh, they, Jesus was also had to face the alienation of his followers after the, his teaching on the bread of life. John chapter, I think it's interesting, John 6, 66. It says many people left him. And uh, because they didn't want to pay the price that it was to follow him. As the pressure began to build against him, more and more uh, turned away. At the end, in Mark 14, 50, the Bible says, All forsook him and fled. Jesus had to face the accusation then of his foes as well. They disparaged his birth. They gave him a fake faux trial. They, uh, they uh, built up a false case against him. They hired false witnesses. Isaiah 53, 3, he is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with griefs. These were his sufferings. Christ suffered much. We're celebrating Christmas this month, and we'll talk about that uh, Sunday, in the next few Sundays, about the Christmas story. And, and uh, what a, what a, Blessed but yet sad truth that Jesus came and how he was treated. His rejected position is going to be ours if we identify with him. But the animosity of family, the alienation from friends, the accusation of foes, all these things that we sometimes will experience in our life will just draw us closer to him if we realize that there's fellowship in those sufferings. He went through the same thing we did. I, I, favorite verse in the Bible, Hebrews 4.10. Uh, or Hebrews 4.15. Uh, he was in all points tempted as we are. We serve a high priest which cannot be, for we do not serve a high priest which cannot be tempted with thee. That verse, you know what I'm talking about. You can tell it's my favorite. I can't even <laughs> say it to you. I said it just fine when I was sitting in my desk, so it's your faces, I guess, that's making it mess me up. But uh, He knows what we're going through. That's what I'm talking about. Jesus knows where we've been. He walked in our shoes. Christ's redemptive passion, made conformable unto his death. Why? Look at verse 10. It ends up with that, being made conformable unto his death. Why not his life? Well, we should be doing that too. We should be living the way he lived. But 
his death demonstrates all that we should aim for in our Christian life. Patience under suffering. Great faith. Compassion for, for dying men and for those that are killing him. Great familial tenderness. The, 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 the tenderness he showed his mother. Great love for sinners. The heart of Jesus yearns over a lost and dying world, a world for which he died. Now, if we strive and endeavor to know him, not only will it draw us closer to him, increase our love for him, I really believe that it's going to instill his heart into ours. We'll start to have the same heart of the Father, the way that Jesus did. We should love sinners. We should want to see people come to Christ. We should love those who do ill will toward us. And uh, just the way Jesus did. Like Paul, we find that our attitude toward sinners will conform to his attitude toward sinners. Remember Paul's prayer. This is a, a prayer. I, I Look, I couldn't pray this prayer. Romans 9, 3, For I could wish that myself were accursed from Christ for my brother and my kinsmen according to the flesh. Paul is praying the same prayer that Moses prayed. I'll go to hell, God, if you'll save them. That's a, that's a strong prayer. Is there anyone in the world we could pray that for? See, our children, let's just lead them to Christ and skip that part. Amen. But think about that. Compassion. Christ that's not That did not come from Paul. He was killing Christians when it was just Paul. This was Christ. And he had that burning desire to know Christ. And guess what happened when he, when he did everything, his whole life pointed to knowing Christ, not about Christ, but knowing him. It, the fruit of it, one of it is found right there. I'll, I'm willing, Christ, I'm willing to give my life forever. Who else did that? Jesus did that on the cross. Suffered for our sin. I'm willing to suffer for their sin. How I mean, if we're honest with ourselves, how unlike Christ we really are. We're not, we're nowhere close. How, how do we become more Christ-like? By knowing him, just knowing him. Reading more of his word, praying, asking him, getting to know his heart. Many of us have uh, family. Most of us have family that's unsaved somewhere along down, down the line. Some of us have, I know, Maybe not directly in here, but some of us in our church have kids that are unsaved, that are very burdened for. And uh, we pray for them. We have them on a prayer list. We lift them up. Uh, but sometimes I have to ask where the passion, and I'm asking this myself, not, not just of you, myself too. Where's the passion? When's the last time that we shed some tears over a lost loved one? We really had the or here's a real tough one. When's the last time we fasted and prayed for him? You know, we want to be like Christ. It's not. It's going to cost us a little bit. But the way that we have uh, his heart is we get to know him. Hebrews 5, 7 talks about the strong crying and tears in prayer. No wonder then our loved ones continue in their sin. We just mention them once in a while in a prayer. We need to really experience some of the passion that Jesus had 
for the lost. Christ died for them. He went to the cross for them. He was made conformable to death for them. If we knew him, I think we would have a little more compassion and more urgency for those that are lost as well. And again, not beating up on you any more than I am myself because I need that too. I, I was recently just, and I am, I'm shamed at how my grandmother and my grandfather have both uh, passed on now, the, the ones that refused to come out of the Amish. And, and I, I wish I'd have wrote, written them every month of my life. I wish I'd have, I mean, I did a couple of times, wrote, wrote them and sent them a gospel track, wrote them what I did in my life. Most of the time they won't open it. And so, you know, you just didn't, you didn't know whether or not to send or not. But uh, did I do enough? I don't know. Could I have done more? Probably. If we strive and endeavor to know Christ, I think that that passion, that compassion, will become a part of our lives like it was for him. Is that your burning desire, that I may know Christ? What I want most in my life, what would it be? What would that be if you had to write down, and remember we did that in school sometimes as kids, you know, what we want to do or what we want to have or what our wish list is. As, as adults, as Christians today, that really should be on the top of our list, that I may know him. A lot of things underneath that will fall into place if we make that our effort and our goal, knowing him. Father.